Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we are headed as a church. Once again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. When you hear the word misfit, what immediately comes to your mind? Cold and nice. It's funny, in the first service, someone actually pointed at the person beside them. That was very awkward. But when you hear the word misfit, is it a memory? Is it a person? Is it an image that pops in your mind? If we just purely go with the dictionary definition of the word, here's what we go with. Someone who does not seem to belong to or fit in with a group due to being different in some way. The thing that comes to my mind when I hear the word misfit are movies that have storylines that contain an underdog or a misfit that go on to accomplish great things. So I was thinking this week about all time, what are some of my very favorite movies that have a storyline of a misfit or an underdog? So as we start today, I want to share with you my top three misfit movies of all time. And you're obviously entitled to your opinion. You can be wrong. But these are, for me, these are my top three. The first one is a movie from 2017. This movie has an incredible soundtrack. It's the movie, The Greatest Showman. A movie all about a group of misfits who begin to work and put together this unbelievable show. And history has revealed how significant that group really was. My number two is actually a tie. Both of these are sports movies. One was made in 1992. The other was made in 1993. But my tie for number two are The Mighty Ducks and The Sandlot. Two great movies that I watched growing up as a kid. Now, unfortunately, Hollywood decided to try to make some sequels after these movies. And in my opinion, it just didn't work. My number one should be everybody's number one. It is a movie that was made in 1985. And if you disagree with me on this one, we're going to have a time of response at the end. And you can come and get right with God. But my number one all-time misfit movie underdog movie is obviously Rocky Four. Are you kidding me? I even went and saw Creed Two. It's just not the same. Rocky IV is the greatest all-time underdog misfit story that has ever been produced. Hey, last Sunday, we began a series in our journey through the book of Ephesians called Spiritual Misfits, God's Unexpected Plan to Change the World. And Pastor Scott did a great job in helping us to understand that when Jesus called his first disciples who would ultimately go on to establish his church, 
He did not select the people that we would have selected. He didn't select the most spiritual. He didn't select the most educated. He didn't select the most experienced. Yet, they are the ones that he called and the ones that he used to establish his church and ultimately change the world. A good friend of our church, Pastor J.D. Greer, said this about that group of misfits. There has never been a more unlikely group of people selected for a greater task. So this morning, we're going to continue with part two of this series, Spiritual Misfits. So if you have a Bible today, would you look with me in the book of Ephesians, the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter two, and in just a moment, I'm going to begin reading in verse 17. We began our verse-by-verse study through this book in August of 2018. And believe it or not, today we're going to conclude the second chapter in this New Testament letter. And then next Sunday, Pastor Vance is going to be back and he's going to navigate into chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians in part 3 of this series. And I just want to say a lot of you have been praying for him, specifically as it relates to his health. He is 100% again. He's actually was with us in Denver this week, but had some meetings that were already scheduled in New York City today, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So that's where he is, but he'll be back next Sunday to continue us on within this series. So let's read from Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 17. And he, meaning Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Then finally, in whom... You also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Last Sunday in part one of this series, we we talked about two questions. The first question was, why were these disciples a group of misfits? What made them a group of misfits? And the second question that we talked about was, how were these misfits united How were they brought together to make a new people? And in our text for today, really what we have in verses 17 and 18 is a brief summary and recap of what we looked at last Sunday. Verse 17 tells us that Jesus came to bring peace to two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. Verse 17 references those that were far away, meaning the Gentiles, and those who were near meaning the Jews. And what Jesus brought as the Prince of Peace had an impact on these groups in two ways. First of all, it gave them a right relationship with him, but it also gave them a right relationship with one another, which was extremely significant. God made a way for both groups to draw near to him And he made a way for both groups to draw together in relationship 
with one another. And as we established last week, that relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles becoming one people cannot be overstated. It was incredibly, incredibly significant. I want to read a couple verses that we looked at last week, but I want to read them from the New Living Translation of the Bible just to give us a little bit more context as we begin today. Verses 14 and 15 of Ephesians 2 say this, for, the, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. An amazing moment in history when God establishes out of two groups, he establishes one. And then in verse 18, he really says it again. He says, as a result of Jesus's finished work, both Jews and Gentiles who are in Christ have access to God through one spirit. And here's what Jesus did as a result of bringing these two groups into one. First of all, he established his church. He established this community that you and I know as the church, and he clarified for all eternity that it doesn't matter if you are Jew or you are Gentile, the ground is level at the cross. And your social status doesn't matter. Your race doesn't matter. Your economic status doesn't matter. The ground is level at the cross. When he called these groups together, he established his bride, the church. John MacArthur in his commentary says this about what took place. Those who were once socially and spiritually alienated are in Christ united with God and with each other. Because they have Christ, they have both peace and access in one spirit to the Father. So as Jesus brought peace, him as the Prince of Peace, he established his church, but secondly, he created a new way to categorize every person on the planet. You see, it was no longer, are you a Jew or are you a Gentile? It's now, are you a follower of Jesus or are you not a follower of Jesus? And then he goes on in verses 19 through 22, and here's what he does. He shares three defining characteristics about this group of misfits and about us as the church today. So in the remainder of our time, I want to share with you three defining characteristics of this group of misfits that we can apply to our lives today. And the first characteristic is found in the first part of verse 19. The Bible says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Here's the first thing that Paul says to this group of misfits. You have a new identity. You have a new identity. I love the way that the first part of verse 19 is a contrasting statement. 
He says, you were this, but now in Christ, you are this. With each of these characteristics, I want to give you a few application statements as we navigate through this text that we can personally apply today. So here's the first one I want you to look at. In Christ, I am a new person. We have a new identity. Here's what that means. In Christ, we are new people. And this contrast of who we were and who we are, we see that throughout the New Testament in different ways that verses are constructed. One of those is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to read it for us, but I want to read it out of the J.B. Phillips translation. It says this, For if any man is in Christ, he becomes a new person altogether. The past, who we were, is finished and gone. Everything has become fresh and new. This speaks to our new position, our new freedom, our new power, and our new life in Christ. He tells them in verse 19, you are saints. You have a new identity. You are new people because of what Christ has done in you and through you. One of my favorite authors is a man by the name of Major Ian Thomas. And in one of the books, he was writing about the significant change that takes place when we begin a relationship with God. I want to read you a section from one of his books because I think it communicates so clearly about us being new people with new power and freedom. He says this, when you and I received Christ as our Redeemer, he gave us through his Holy Spirit the fullness and power of his resurrection. He has given us everything we could ever need at any time under any circumstance. The Lord Jesus came from heaven to earth, not just to get us out of hell and into heaven, though he is the only one who can and does if we let him, but to get himself out of heaven into us. I love this statement. He gave himself for us to give himself to us. The gift of his life so that we may enjoy a wonderful personal relationship with him that never changes. And then he gives a challenge, a warning. Grasp this well. For otherwise, your Christianity will remain very boring, sterile, and impersonal. Christ himself is the very life content of the Christian faith. So Paul says, listen, you have a new identity, and in Christ, you are a new person. But he doesn't stop there when talking about identity. He goes on in the verse to talk about citizenship. He says, you are citizens with the saints. So here's a very clear application for us today. In Christ, I am a citizen of God's kingdom. In Christ, not only are we new people, but we are made citizens of God's kingdom. This speaks to our security and stability as members of a new nation. Paul wrote about this to the church at Philippi as well in Philippians chapter 3. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a savior from there. The moment 
we begin a relationship with God, we are made members or citizens of God's eternal kingdom. And one mark of every citizen in God's kingdom is that they have a new identity. And this identity is not who we will be. This identity is who we are at this very moment positionally in Christ. And that identity is the most important thing about us. I'll say it to you this way. Above all else, who I am is who I am in Christ. And whatever it is that you may put as a rival to your identity in Christ, this is more important. Above everything else that you can think of, who we are is who we are in Christ. So that's the first defining characteristic Paul shares. He says, listen, you have a new identity. You're a new person and you are a citizen of God's kingdom. But he goes on in verse 19 to share another characteristic of this group of misfits. The verse continues and says, you are of God's household. He says, listen, you're no longer strangers and aliens. Now you are a part of God's household. Here's what he's saying. Not only do you have a new identity, you have a new community. You have a new identity in Christ. But because I've now brought you together and established my church, you have a new community. And this really takes the God-established relationship between Jews and Gentiles to an even deeper level. Remember, these two groups could not be further relationally. There could not have been a bigger gap between their relationships. And here's what Paul does. He says, listen, you're not only citizens of the same kingdom. You're family. You're brothers and sisters in Christ. You not only have the same association when it comes to the kingdom you're a part of, you are brothers and sisters in the family of God. Here's, here's a way that we can apply this personally today. In Christ, I am a member of God's family. That's what Paul's communicating here in the second part of verse 19 when he talks about God's household. And it's interesting as he writes here, the family dynamic that he does not really emphasize on is fatherhood. Now, as you study the book of Ephesians in totality, there are multiple times when he talks about God as our father. The family dynamic that he's really emphasizing here in the second part of verse 19, it's not fatherhood, it's brotherhood and sisterhood. He's once again telling these former Jews and Gentiles, God has made you a family. You are now brothers and sisters in Christ. We say this at Hope all the time, but I believe before this community that we call the church is anything else, we're a family. And with that comes good days, bad days, needs, conflicts, celebrations, mistakes, but circumstances don't change that relationship. I told you earlier that we had an opportunity to go to Denver, Colorado this week to be a part of training those church planners there in that state. And so several of us went on that trip. And one of the, the people from our team who went was my brother, Micah. He went to capture some video footage and get some, some pictures. And so last Sunday after church, he came up to me and he said, hey, man, I don't have room 
for this piece of equipment in my bag, could you take it with you? And kind of just wanting to get out of here and go watch the Super Bowl, I said, sure. And so I grabbed it. So I get home and I, I put it in my carry-on. And you know those moments when you pack a carry-on or a bag that you're going to check and it's like totally slammed, but it's perfect. But if anybody like opens the zipper, it like explodes. <laughs> That's kind of what I was dealing with because I had this, uh, this case in there. And so I go through the security process and my bag gets flagged and kind of pushed over. So I go over to uh, the table where you have to talk to the security guy. And he said, hey, uh, we just need to look through your bag real quick. And so he opens my bag and it explodes. And he reaches to the bottom and he gets this case. And like all my shirts that are so perfectly folded, they're wrinkled. I got shoes spilling over. It was awful. And he said, sir, we're going to have to run your bag and then this case separately just to get a green light and then you can go on your way. And so he did that, and my bag came through no problem, but this case got flagged again. And so about that time, a volleyball team comes through the security line. And so I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to be here for a minute. And then I start thinking, all right, I got to fly in like 30 minutes. And I kind of got that little bit of anxiety setting over me, you know. And so my case finally gets through after the volleyball team, and it gets flagged again. And so the gentleman picks it up and walks over and he goes, oh, sir, I'm so sorry. We're going to have to look inside of it and then we're going to have to scan it again. And I just, I didn't, I couldn't even stop it. I just said, are you kidding me? <laughs> and the gentleman said, sir, I, I sense that you're frustrated with me. I said, and I just kind of smirked. I said, sir, I'm not frustrated with you. I am furious at my brother. <laughs> And so he sent it back through again, and I just start thinking, what on earth am I going to do? If I don't make my flight and this thing gets hung up again, I'm going to have to dis disavow my brother as my brother. I I'm going to have to, he's going to have to go on probation for his job at the church. And the first thing I'm going to have to do in Denver is drop kick him right in his face. And I'm just having all these things that are going through my mind. And it went through a third time and they had to swipe it a little bit more, but it ended up being okay. And I made it to Denver. But I say all that to say the threats, the frustration, all those things that I was feeling, those were all unfiltered thoughts, but they didn't carry any action. And here's why. That's my brother. I mean, he, he, he's family to me. So yeah, there's some things you got to work through and think through. But at the end of the day, he's my family. And here's what I think Paul's doing at the end of verse 19. With that same perspective of loyalty and love, he's telling this church at Ephesus, listen, there's going to be stuff, but you are family. And in the context of God's kingdom, relationships are non-negotiable. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are spiritually and eternally a family. I want you to think for a moment about just some different dynamics in a family. In a healthy family, there is deep love. As I think about my family, there's nothing I wouldn't do for them. In a family, there is responsibility. I have a role to play within my family, and so do you. There is sacrifice. There are things that my wife and I choose to do without 
for the good of our family. In a family, there's drama. There are things that happen in an airport, for instance, that are hard, but I love my family enough to work through it. And all those things, as we realize today that the church is a family, those same things exist. And if we're really going to apply the principle that Paul is sharing here about a new community, we must move beyond seeing one another as acquaintances. And we must begin to see one another as family. We must move past just seeing church as an event you attend on Sunday to seeing it as a family that you belong to for eternity. Listen to this statement on the screen. You will never know God, you will never know the very best God has in store for your life apart from a relationship with him, obviously, and his family. You see, when we begin a relationship with God, we're we're given a new identity and we're also given a new community. That is how God designed it. So I want to pause here and say something to those in the room who are currently not connected in community here at Hope Church. For whatever reason, maybe you prioritize the gather time every Sunday, but you've never taken a step to engage in group time, in community. We have brand new groups that are launching this week as well as in March. And it is our best attempt to create the easiest move possible for you to be a part of community. They're groups that are going to last four weeks. They're going to be held right here on campus. And then they will progress to become just normal groups. But everyone in the group is new. So you don't have anything to worry about in terms of being left out or not included in conversation. If that's you today and you know, wow, I'm not connected in community. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Today before you leave, stop by our Next Step Center and just ask some questions. This is a great opportunity if you're not connected in a small group in community. This is a great first step, and you can take that step today because we have groups starting tomorrow as well as on Tuesday. We've been given a new community. We are a part of God's family. The third and final thing that Paul says here is found in verses 20 through 22. I want us to read that. One more time today, starting in verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in his spirit. He says, you guys are being made into a new temple. Here's what he's saying, and here's what Paul's communicating. Listen, new believers, you have a new mission. You have a new identity, you have a new community, and you have a new mission. Of the three things mentioned in our passage for today, a reference to a temple would have been the most clear for the church at Ephesus. And here's why. For almost a thousand years, the temple was the focal point in Israel. It was associated with God's presence. So to be near to the temple meant to be near to God. 
And so when Paul gives this picture to these misfits, that is God's people, they are a part of a new temple and God dwells in them. I would imagine that it was both humbling and confusing at the same time. So I want to pick these verses apart very quickly as we finish up today. Verse 20, he uses a couple of key words. He says that you are, being, you are built on the foundation and on the cornerstone. The foundation that's being referred to here is God's word as it was taught by the apostles and the prophets. And then he mentions the cornerstone, which is what everything else in a building is built upon, and that is Jesus. He alone makes everything that is being built possible. And then he goes on in verse 21, and he says, In Christ, the whole building is being fitted together. He clarifies that the Lord is the one who is building and establishing this community, this building called the church. God is carefully putting you and I together as a building, as a community, as a family. And then verse 21, he says, it, meaning the building, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. And when he speaks of growth here, which is really the idea that we understand mission from, he's talking about it in two ways, width and depth. He's saying this building that God is establishing, this group of people, it's growing in two ways. It's growing wider and it's growing deeper. So here's an application for us as we think about mission. In Christ, I am a part of the global eternal mission of God. He says in verse 21, this thing is growing. We have a mission and we're a part of it. And it's a global and eternal mission. So here's a question that I asked and you may be asking. How is this global and eternal mission accomplished? Well, it's actually pretty simple. The mission is reaching people who are not following Jesus with and discipling people who are following Jesus depth. That's how this building continues to grow and how you and I have a part in the mission. Here's the way we communicate that at Hope. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. That's the mission. We're a part of the global eternal mission of God, and that's the way it is expressed here locally at Hope Church. So there's a new identity, there's a new community, and there's a new mission for this group of misfits. And then finally in verse 22, Paul, Paul communicates a phrase that I think is filled with so much grace, but it's easy to overlook if you're not paying attention. He says in verse 22, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. I believe by him saying, you also. He's reminding the Gentiles that even though everything from their past and everything in them is saying, I don't deserve to be a part of that. Paul's reminding them that yes, you also are a part of what God is establishing. I mean, think about how radical this was. The Gentiles went from not even being allowed near the temple in Jerusalem 
to Paul telling them that they now represent one of the stones that is actually a part of. Here's what I believe that does. That reminds us today that God's invitation is for everyone. I assure you, when the Gentiles read this letter, here's what they were thinking. This is too good to be true. There's no way that this is for me. They were thinking, this includes everybody but me. But here's the truth. The love and mercy of God are not the property of any one people or any one nation. His invitation is for the whole world. Pastor Scott said something last week that I've just been chewing on all week. He talked about the Jewish mindset and the Gentile mindset. I texted him this week and I said, hey man, what, what did you mean by that? Because I've been, I've been thinking about that all, all week. You know, this letter was written to both groups, both with different backgrounds, different experiences, different perspectives. And I begin to think what would have been the mindset of a former Jew, former Gentile, what would that have looked like? And I really think I understand. For the Jew, as they read this letter from Paul, here's where they struggled. They struggled with spiritual arrogance. They thought, because of who I am, because God accepted me long ago, if I can just continue to work hard, that love that God has for me will remain. Here's what they did. Their struggle was overestimating their ability. Spiritual arrogance. But for the Gentile, it was different. The Gentile didn't struggle or have a default to spiritual arrogance. The Gentile struggled with spiritual poverty. And where the Jews overestimated their ability, the Gentiles may have underestimated God's ability. To think there's no way that God would let me be a part of that. Like it's too good. It's too unbelievable. And I think about our room today. Most of us are probably defaulting to one of those two sides. We may be thinking, well, I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. And there's, there's a little bit of arrogance to it. Because you think in some way, based off your performance... God's love for you goes up or goes down. And I want you to know the reason that you experience God the way that you do is only because of his grace. For others of us today, you may not struggle with spiritual arrogance. You struggle with spiritual poverty. And you think, Pastor, you have no clue what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've said, what I've been exposed to. And there's a struggle for you in underestimating what God can do. And here's what I want you to hear me say today. The reason that you are also invited to experience a relationship with God is because of his grace. As the people of God, we are who we are and have what we have only because of the grace of God. Listen to this statement. Grace is what we all need and grace is what God freely gives. It is his amazing, undeserved grace that allows us to experience a new identity, a new community, and a new mission.
And I believe when Paul wrote that phrase, you also, in verse 22, he just had to smile because he thought to himself, Gentiles, this is for you. It's all about grace. Let's pray this morning. Just like we do every Sunday, we're going to have some time now to respond to the voice of God. So as as you're there with just your eyes closed, your head bowed, how's God speaking today? I know how he's speaking in my life. How's he speaking in your life? Maybe for you, what the Spirit of God just really exposed was this area of identity. Maybe you've not had the perspective that above all else, who you are is who you are in Christ. I want to invite you just to talk to God about that. Maybe the big application for you today has to do with God's family. Maybe there's a broken relationship that you need to seek reconciliation with. Maybe you're not someone who is actively engaged in community in the life of this fellowship. And you realize today that needs to change. I want to invite you to talk to God about that. Or maybe today for the first time you recognize this mission we've been given. We're a part of something so much bigger than us. God's invited us to share in his global eternal mission. And there are some things he's just putting on your heart about specifically that mission in reaching people who don't know Jesus or discipling people who do know Jesus. I want to invite you just to talk to God about that. Just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song of response. We've got some pastors here all along the front of the stage. I'm going to be here at the front. We'd love an opportunity to pray for you today. Maybe there's something in your life that is physical or financial or relational, and you just need today, before you leave, you need somebody to pray for you. We'd love to pray for you. Or maybe today you want to come forward to these steps and just kneel down and just be with the Lord. You feel free to do that during this time. Or maybe today you know that you do not have a relationship with God. But you desire that. You desire to be born again into a relationship with God and be given a new identity in Christ. When we stand and sing, I want to invite you to come to one of our pastors and just say, I need Jesus. We would love to connect you with someone who can show you from Scripture how today you can begin a relationship with God. So, Lord, these moments are yours. Would you heighten our sensitivity to your voice? God, thank you for your word. Thank you that everything we're talking about today comes straight out of the pages of Scripture. Thank you that your word is a foundation we can stand upon. I pray you would direct us now as some of us sing, as some of us pray, as some of us listen. Lord, whatever the response is you're leading us to, God, may we be obedient in these moments. I pray this in Jesus' name.